In Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, the scripture says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. The book of Ezra covers, covers a span of 70 to 80 years from 537 B.C. to 457 B.C. This book gives a, a very accurate uh, account of the restoration of Israel. They had been taken away into captivity, and after their time of serving uh, was over, God began to uh, bring them back in different ways under different leaders. Uh, some of them came to rebuild Jerusalem. Some came to rebuild the temple. They all worked together. They reestablished uh, the worship at the temple. Uh, Ezra happened to have been the lead scribe at the time. And uh, in Ezra 7.10 that we just read, Ezra did four things to please God. You know, we should be very concerned about pleasing God. And the, and the concept, the principle of doing what pleases God, it wouldn't necessarily have to do with any set number. But even in the New Testament, there are things that we ought to do in order to please God. And somebody says, well, you're talking about earning your salvation. No, I'm talking about living the way God wants us to live, living righteously, standing on the right side of the line instead of standing wherever you choose to. The first thing that Ezra did to, in an effort to please God was he prepared his heart. And I think that that would be the beginning point for any of us. It wouldn't matter what dispensation we lived under. You know, you had the patriarchal age where God spoke to the heads of the families, and then you had the Mosaic age where God spoke to Moses and delivered the law to his people. And now under the Christian age, uh, we have the writings of the New Testament, and the will of God has been made known. And Jesus has paid the one-time sacrifice for our sins. And so now, before we do anything to please God, we need to be preparing ourselves. Uh, it's not just some half-hearted thing you do. Uh, you go in and you hear something, you like the sound of it, and you respond. And then you go away feeling good about it, but you don't go back. Or you do go back, but it doesn't mean anything to you. Preparation has always been important, preparation of the heart, especially when it comes to the people's relationship with God. In Amos chapter 4 and verse 12, another Old Testament prophet wrote to the people of Israel, and he said, Therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. That statement is applicable to the person who's trying to serve God, it's also applicable to the person who isn't trying because we'd better all prepare to meet our God and we better find out what his expectations are and what kind of person he wants us to be. John prepared the way for the coming of Jesus. He was what was referred to as the harbinger. Old Testament prophets spoke of his coming. They referred to him as Elijah. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, He's referred to as the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Uh, the prophet said, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 3, Matthew tells us this is fulfillment of prophecy, specifically the prophet Isaiah. So He said, For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Esaias, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. <clears throat> so after John's miraculous birth and he grew to adulthood, 
he went and resided in the wilderness, ate locusts and wild honey, and he preached down by the riverside. He preached and he drew multitudes. He drew, he drew crowds. And what was his message to them? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 17, uh, we're, we're told that he shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What was John's job? It was to go before Christ. It was to go ahead of Christ, calling people home to God, calling people back to pre prepare themselves to get ready because the Messiah was coming and the kingdom would be established. We have the example of Abraham uh, finding grace in the eyes of the Lord in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. Uh, God called Abraham out of uh, Haran to go into a land that he would show him and he would bless him and he would bless his lineage and through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We could go through that 11th chapter of Hebrews and find several that found grace. We're told specifically that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. How did these people find grace in God's eyes? How did they find favor? Because they were preparing themselves to be involved with God. It wasn't on their terms. It wasn't about them. It was about God. So Ezra prepared his heart. He got his heart ready. He laid the foundation. He cleaned out the stuff that didn't need to be there, and he filled it up with things that ought to be there. And the second thing he did was he sought the law of the Lord. Most of the time we don't seek out the law. We don't seek to know the rules. Uh, somewhere along the way we develop the expression, it's easier to ask forgiveness than it is to get permission. And yet that's not how we ought to live. Uh, Ezra was seeking the law of the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, uh, the people of Israel were told, You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. And then in verse 29, he says, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thy heart, and with all thy soul. If you really want to find God, you'll find Him. When you really don't want to find Him, you'll, you'll pretend to, but and you won't find Him. Because it has to be an all or nothing kind of thing. Seeking God with all of our heart, with all of our soul. Not allowing anything to get between us and God, or to get ahead of God in our lives. In First Chronicles 28.8, the people were taught there that if they would seek, they would find now therefore in the sight of all Israel, the congregation of the Lord, and in the audience of our God, keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this land and leave it for an inheritance for your children after you forever. The same concept that Israel lived by, we can live by now. If, if, we, if we want to be pleasing in the sight of God, we'll seek God and we'll keep His commandments. And we will have a better life because of it and have a better inheritance for our children and, and our children after us. In Psalm chapter 27, verse 4, the psalmist said, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that I might seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What had David desired of the Lord? What did he desire that he was going to seek after? He's going to look for it. He's going to, he's going to chase after it. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He wanted to behold the beauty of the Lord. And he wanted to inquire in the Lord's temple. Of course, there is no earthly building that holds God in it. The, temp the temple and the tabernacle under the Jewish dispensation was a temporary place. It was a visible sign for those people. But God still resides everywhere. He is eternal. But we can seek the Lord and we can obey the gospel and as the New Testament teaches us our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit which dwells within us we invite Jesus we invite the Lord our God into our heart we let God rule in our lives and then we can begin to enjoy the beauty of holiness that being the beauty of the Lord and we can also inquire in his temple the Lord is in his holy temple let all the earth keep silence before him we can inquire in his temple does that mean a, a house here on earth somewhere no that means the spiritual the spiritual temple the spiritual house the, 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 that's living that's growing the church part of the kingdom of God in Amos chapter 5 and verse 4 the prophet said for thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel seek me and ye shall live. You know, it, it may have been coming from a prophet, and God gave the message, and it went to Israel, but when we read it today, it's a truthful statement. Seek me, and ye shall live. Somebody says, well, what if a soldier is seeking God and they don't live on the battlefield? This passage carries far beyond the physical living. This is spiritual. This is eternal. If we seek God, we'll live. If we want our nation to be a better place, a better world begins with me. If I seek God, I can make my nation a better place. I can make my community a better place just by making my life a better place. In Ecclesiastes 1.13, the writer says, And I gave my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. Solomon gave his heart to seeking and searching. He was looking for something. He was looking for wisdom. Or he wanted to search out things by wisdom. And this is that great portion of wisdom that God had given it to him. It didn't make him perfect as a human being. He still had times in his life when he chose to violate the laws of God and and he recognized that, and later he would write about it, and others would make mention of it. But he would search out by wisdom concerning everything done under the heaven, and all the things that go on in the lives of the sons of men. The New Testament has passages on the concept of seeking. Matthew chapter 6, 33, one of my favorite passages, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Prior to that particular scripture, 
uh, the writer had written about how you can consider the lilies of the field. They don't work, they don't spin, but they have everything they need. God takes care of his creation. David wrote in another place that he had never seen the seed of God begging for bread. God provides things in our life when we're serving him. No, they don't just fall on us. God doesn't do for us what we can do for ourselves. But when we're active and faithful and prayerful, there are times when we just can't fill the void and God, by the hand of providence, will fill a void in our lives. And you know it when it's happened. Usually you know it when you're looking back and reflecting and you're thinking, how did it get through that? You know how you got through that. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, Jesus said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Ask, seek, and knock. We don't just sit back and wait for it to happen. We make petition. We seek after it. We don't make petition for things that, that, that violate Scripture. And we don't seek after things that violate the will of God. God isn't going to override His will and give us something that He didn't say He would give us or that He said He wouldn't give us or something that won't be good for us. Many times we ask for guidance and ask for God to provide something and He provides something all right, but it wasn't what we were expecting. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Luke says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We seek the kingdom of God, but Jesus came to the earth to seek and save the lost. In Galatians 1 and verse 10, Paul said, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? Or if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of God. So, we don't want to be seeking to please men. We seek to please God. We seek to be servants of Christ. Colossians 3.1, Paul said, If ye then be risen with Christ, and seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. If you're risen with Christ, well, the next step is seek the things above. You're not buried in baptism, risen with Christ, and then go out and seek the world like you did before. It's You're buried with Christ in baptism, you're risen with Christ, and you seek the things that are above. You seek where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. In Hebrews 11:6, the writer tells us that without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You can't please God without faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So by faith, we move, we live and move. We walk by faith and not by sight. We believe what God says and we believe uh, what the Bible says and we walk by faith and not by sight. In John chapter 5 and verse 30, Jesus said, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of God which has sent me. Ezra was seeking the Lord in his life. He was seeking a God in the message. He prepared his heart and he began to seek the law of the Lord. The third thing 
is that his intention was to do the law of the Lord. He wasn't just going to seek for it. He's going to do it. He's preparing himself. He's getting ready. This should be our intention also. In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, the writer says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Obviously, the author is the beginning point. He was the beginning point of, of eternal salvation. And who's that for? That's for all those that obey him. What about the disobedient? Well, it's not going to do them any good. Ezra was seeking the law of God, and Ezra had every intention to do the law of God. We don't want to seek the law of God, and then we find out we don't like everything it says. So we'll just ignore that part, and we'll do the good part, the part that makes us get that fuzzy feeling, and we feel good, and we can talk a lot about love, but we don't ever want to talk about obedience for some reason. We live in a world that's, that's full of disobedience. Disobedience of the laws of the land. Disobedience of, of uh, authority in schools and businesses. Disobedience to parents. God frowns on disobedience. God expects people to do the right thing. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, Jesus had said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. You just can't call the name of Jesus and expect that to get you up to heaven. You're not going to magically float in when you say, Jesus, Jesus. You're going to go there because you followed in the steps of Jesus. You followed where he led, and that's where you arrive at. Luke 6, 46, Jesus said to the crowd around him, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? How can we call him Lord and not obey the gospel? How can we rewrite the plan of salvation knowing that the New Testament teaches beyond what we're teaching? Or how can we add to the plan of salvation knowing that the New Testament doesn't go as far as we're going with it when we know that that's not the Lord's plan and we're not doing what He said? How do we think we can do it that way? It is the one who, it is the ones who do this they think they are justified. Romans chapter 2 verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Now Paul was making a reference to the law of Moses. But you're only justified when you become obedient. There is no justification in saying one thing and doing another. We say what we think God wants to hear and then we do what we know we want to do. And that's loaded with immaturity. We must not be hearers only, James 1.22. James says, be ye, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. James also said, faith without works is dead, being alone. The only time in scripture you'll find faith and alone in the same passage, and it teaches that faith without works is dead. Our faith has to prompt us to a different lifestyle. Our faith has to prompt us to act in an effort to please and obey God. By obeying and loving, we know who we are. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 2, 
John said, by this we know that we, are, that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. So if you don't love God and keep His commandments, you don't know that you love the children of God because what they do is going to conflict with what you do. The world doesn't like it when we conflict with the world. And if we're walking like the world, we're not going to like it when other Christians are conflicting with the world. And serving Christ. The fourth thing that Ezra intended was that he would teach God's statutes and judgments to the people. You know, when you get down to this point in that passage, and it was in the Old Testament, as we said, between four and five hundred years before Christ, but it puts you in mind of the Great Commission. Ezra wanted to learn or be taught himself. He wanted to seek, he wanted to learn, and he wanted to practice those commandments. And he wanted to teach the statutes and judgments to the people. In Acts chapter 24 and verse 25, Paul reasoned with Felix of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. And as he reasoned of righteous, temperance, judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Felix trembled. He knew Paul was teaching him the truth. He wasn't living in a vacuum. He was a ruler put there by an occupying force. But he knew the, the customs of, the, of these people. And he trembled at what Paul taught him, taught him regarding righteousness, temperance, and judgment. But he wasn't ready to make the step. He said, go, go away, Paul, for right now. When I have a convenient season, I'll call for you. The New Testament was written by the Holy Spirit, uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And after this event, we don't have a record of Felix ever having a convenient season. Now, he may have, and it didn't get recorded, but he probably didn't. Because when we wait to become Christians, wait to serve God, because we're looking for the right time. We're looking for the convenient season. Well, we never seem to find it, and we never seem to call on the Lord. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Jesus' method was to teach. After he began his public ministry, why, most of the time they referred to him as teacher or rabbi. He went about teaching and the crowd would gather around and he would teach them. And so he gives the great commission to his followers. He says, all power has been given to me. God had placed all the power with Jesus. In verse 19 of Matthew 28, he speaks to us and other followers Go ye therefore, go teach. Go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded, whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. When we lead someone to Christ, we teach them the first principles. We teach them the plan of salvation. They obey the gospel. 
The old man is put to death. They're buried in the waters of baptism. They rise from the grave with Christ. They have put on Christ. They are in Christ. They are a new, new creature. And in verse 20, Jesus said, After that part, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. In other words, teach, baptize, and then continue to teach. If we teach in such a way as to compel people to ask, what must I do? Then do we please God? When we obey what is taught, then we do please God. When you hear the gospel, it brings faith into your heart if your heart is ready for it. So you hear the gospel, you come to believe in Jesus, you desire to repent of your sins, turn your back on the world, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior, be buried with Him in baptism. You're buried, you're resurrected, you're raised to a new life, and you're called to be faithful unto death, Revelation 2.10, and Jesus will give you crown of life. It's not get baptized and then live as you please. It's continue to seek God. It's continue to serve God. Once we obey the gospel, if we fall, if we backslide, the Bible teaches that we can repent and pray and recommit our lives. If you have need of doing either one of these things, I hope you'll get in touch uh, with some of us by phone or by uh, email, and we will be glad to assist you in these matters.